The Bible says in verse 15, we're talking about the creation of uh, humans and human relationship. Of course, we know the Bible says, let us make man in our image. So we're made in the image of God. Verse 27, chapter 1. Verse 15, chapter 2 says this, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Let's read the next phrase together. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall... And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Pretty impressive. Points for Adam on that one, for sure. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He went nighty-night, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into the woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's all together say amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Today, we pray that you would guide us in your truth. We pray today that your truth would be met with faith. We pray today, God, as we begin this series, that you, your abiding presence would be upon us. God, this will be a useless exercise unless you are present, moving in our hearts, God, setting us free, healing us, clearing the confusion that exists within our minds, untangling the knots that we get ourselves in bringing revelation to the areas of dysfunction and cycles of toxicity that sometimes we ourselves are blind to. God, please, we humbly plead with you to help, with us, to help us be present with us, Lord, that from this time in your word, we would come forth as image bearers, living our lives, living our relationships in a way that not only honors you, but brings us joy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat today, for real, for reals. <laughs> you know, Charles Dickens, he started his classic novel, The Tale of Two Cities, with these timeless words that you probably know. He said, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And you know, that novel is written in pre-revolution, uh, pre-French Revolution era, and you know, it really takes the cities of London and Paris, and it does a, a deep dive on the contrasts that were happening in both of those cities at the same time. I mean, what was happening from an experiential level was, so, was in such great contrast, it seems almost difficult to imagine that these things were happening simultaneously. In fact, after that classic introduction, he describes some of the great contrast in these cities. He says it was a time of wisdom and it was a time of foolishness. It was a time of belief. It was a time of incredulity. It was a time of light and it was a time of darkness. It was a time of hope and it was a time of despair. I mean, really, you know, such far ends of the spectrum, sometimes you wonder how can those things even be happening at the same time? And yet, I think sometimes our relationships are like this. I think sometimes in one relationship, you can have two radically different experiences. For for some of us, sometimes, you know, we experience trust and we also experience betrayal. We experience joy and we also experience sorrow. We experience pleasure and we also experience pain 
We experience and want to walk in love, and sometimes we just want to strangle, right? <laughs> I mean, honestly, who in this room has absolutely perfect relationships? Like, let's, let's just say, I'm asking you a question today. You have handled your relationships all across the time of your life with total perfection, right? That's ex- exactly what I thought. You know, because relationships are hard, are they not? How many of you are married today? All right. Is that easy? Has it been easy for you? Have you handled it perfectly? No. Relationships, relationships are difficult. I think in this mini-series, uh, our hope over the next six weeks is that we would laugh, that we would cry. I won't make you, some of you cry. That we would learn, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, that we would be convicted. We are praying that during this time that we would be set free, that we would be healed. I mean, the truth is this, that just across this room today, uh, there are all sorts of experiences that we have had. Some of us have had very, very difficult experiences. And in relationships, we've been victimized. And there are still wounds that exist when we talk about relationships. I mean, this really is a touchy subject. But you know, God is present with us. And God can heal, even today, the most wounded heart among us. We want to experience Jesus during this time, and we want to be able to, over the course of the next six weeks, really learn what it means to have Christ-like relationships. The pattern that these teachings are going to have, it's pretty simple. Um, I'm going to be, in the first section, talking about truth you know, that comes from the Word of God. This is, uh, you know, the information that's gathered and and is going to be taught is not derived from self-help books. Um, It's not really going to be psychologically oriented or or focused on uh, humanistic psychology. Uh, It's going to be rooted in the Word of God because all of the truth that you need for your relationships, your, your relationships to be healthy are found in this book's. In this book. They're found in this book. And listen, I want you, I think it's our desire for you to be able to go to the scripture and to be able to discover what it is that God desires. It's important for you to know the truth, but listen, it's also important for you. And when I say you, I mean me, I'm talking us. It's important for you to live the truth as well. So The first section we're going to hit is biblical truth. The second section, the final section, is going to be called live truth. And that's where we're going to be exhorted to live out the truth that God speaks to us. Because you know, not only does the Bible have all the answers, but, but the power of Scripture is experienced when we choose to live it out in our lives. In other words, it's not just enough to know what the Bible says. Are you with me? It's not just enough to know what the Bible says. Hey, you can have 30 years of Bible knowledge crammed into your brain, but if you're not living it practically in your life, it means absolutely nothing. It means absolutely nothing. I'll tell you right now, some of the people with the most dysfunctional relationships are people who've walked with God for 30 or 40 years. And, and I say that as you know, a warning to myself. I've known the Lord for 30 years, and I don't want to be in a place where I stop growing in how to have good, solid, godly relationships. So we're going to end each section, we're going to end each teaching with a section that's called Live Truth, and they're just going to be solid principles from the Word of God um, that really exhort us to live out what we're learning. The truth is this, the way you live bears the fruit of what you actually believe. The way you live bears the fruit of what you actually believe. Sometimes there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and how we actually live our lives. Like we'll affirm and acknowledge theological or biblical truths, but then you know sometimes we'll live our lives uh, in the complete opposite direction. And if that's the case, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we really believe what we say we believe? Hey, the Bible says, Jesus speaking to his disciples, teaching them about prayer, uh, he says this, if you forgive men their trespasses, so also will your Father in heaven forgive you yours. And then he goes on to say, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, 
neither will your Father in heaven forgive you yours. Now listen, we can say, hey, he said it, and I believe it, but the question is, are we living it? You know, if we live, this is just an example, but if we live in chronic unforgiveness and we're bearing um, grudges against people that we are absolutely unwilling to let go of, we can say that we believe what Jesus said all day long, but the truth is we're not living in a way that is in alignment with it. So important for us to be living out what we say that we believe. I want to start today very simply, okay? And so um, while this may be uh, very simple truth, it's important truth that I do believe even as uh, Christians, we need to continually come back to. So this is where we're going to start. We're going to start in this place. You've been made by God to receive his love, to love him, and to give his love freely to others. This is our starting point for everything else that we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks. It always starts here. This is the epicenter. This is the point that we either have to come to initially for the first time, maybe today, or we have to come back to as believers to remember that we've been made by God to receive his love, to love him, and to give his love to others. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 25. Why did God do what he did? Why did he make Adam? Why did he make Eve? Why did he plant two trees in the midst of the garden? Why was there a choice? Well, fundamentally, uh, we know it's not because God was lonely. It's not because God was empty. It's not because God was missing something. God wanted humanity to experience the love that exists within the Trinity. So, The purpose of our existence is to receive the love of God, to love God in return as a response, as a reaction by faith, and to share that love with other people. Now, evolution, you know, says something different about relationships. Evolution says that relationships are just a matter of adaptation or survival of the fittest, the best thing that's for your species. Altruism is about making sure you can prolong survival and keep those genes moving on. Uh, Evolution teaches social evolution. It teaches that love is nothing more than chemicals. We're going to talk about that. You know, there are people who actually believe that love uh, is not about giving yourself unconditionally to people. It's about hormones that course through your body in different ways. And I'll just tell you, if you go home and say, hey, babe, you know, um, I love you so much, and I'm thankful for all the chemicals that God has placed within my body that provoke me to love you the way you're going to get slapped in the face, all right? <laughs> but let me start with this. Let me start with this. The Trinity is the beginning and basis for all love relationships. The Trinity is the beginning and the basis for all love relationships. The Bible says that God is love. The Bible says that God is love. How do we know that God... And by the way, you might be thinking, why are we starting with the Trinity? Because remember in Genesis, everything starts with God. Everything starts with God. And God was a God of love before he made a single thing. In theological terms, the attribute of love is essential or necessary. It's not contingent. God didn't just start loving when he made Adam and Eve. God loved before Adam and Eve or the angels were ever made. You say, well, how in the world did did God do that if there was only God? Well, God did that because God is a trinity. Because in the Godhead, you have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. One substance, one essence, yet three persons. The Trinity is an eternal relationship that is founded on love. So we know that God is a God of love because this love has been the foundation or the basis of the relationship in the Trinity for all of eternity. Why is that important for us? Because remember, Imago Dei, we are made in the image of God. Uh, This was just the beautiful thing on day six, the apex of everything was not the how complicated the physical body of mankind was, but the fact that we were made as image bearers, that we have this great privilege of not just having a will, not just being creative, but also being able to live in community. We're made for community. We know that that's the case because the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit live in community. We're made for roles. How do we understand how relationship roles work? Well, we look to, not the culture, we look to the Trinity, 
We know that we're made for unity. The heart of God is that we're unified in our family with respect to our friendships, absolutely in the body of Christ because the, the, the Trinity lives in unity. We know that we're made for love because fundamentally the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit love one another. In fact, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he was, you know, John chapter 14, this was just uh, days before his crucifixion. And this was precisely what he said. He was talking about the purpose of his crucifixion. And I know, like rightly so, when we talk about the crucifixion, we think about the love of Christ for us. And somebody say amen to that, because that for sure, did you affirm with an amen? Okay. (laughs) Sometimes it's hard for me to hear. Because absolutely, you know, this is a demonstration of the, of the love of Christ for us. He was willing to go to the cross for us. But even more than that, even more than that, the cross, obedience to the cross was a revelation about the love that the Son had for the Father for all of eternity. In fact, this was what he said as he's talking about going to the cross and being obedient to the command of the Father. He said, this is the reason that the world may know that I love the Father, This love relationship between the Father and the Son has existed for all of eternity. And because we're made in the image of God, we know that we are engineered for loving relationships. Interestingly enough, Jesus defined all biblical revelationships in terms of a love relationship. Jesus defined all biblical revelations. So we're talking about the whole of the Bible He defined it in terms of loving relationship. I know sometimes when we think about uh, the totality of revelation that comes through Scripture, all sorts of different things that we can think about. We can think about ecclesiology or eschatology or soteriology or one of the other ologies of theology. But really what Jesus does is he takes all of it, the law and the prophets, and he boils it down to love. How important is love? How important is love? Listen, I ask this today in this current Christian culture because sometimes love, the most important thing, is the thing that's actually missed. We can be so consumer-oriented when it comes to relationships in the body of Christ and how we handle other people, and our religious life fits within this compartment of like a marketplace service. It's a marketplace service. I go in, I, I, I get served. I get served, sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes it gets a plus, sometimes it gets a minus. Sometimes it's a happy emoji, sometimes it's a frown, depending on you know, how I'm serviced. And then we go out and we just live like we have always lived. We just live our lives the way that we're used to living our lives. And yet there's something that's missing. And I would say to all of us today, the most important thing sometimes is missing, it's love. You know, if you were to survey the culture in America today and, and say, hey, listen, from a positive perspective, how would you describe the church big C? Would the non-believer say? And I'm not saying you can always trust what the non-believer says, but it is important. Would the non-believer say, man, the church, that the church is loving. The church is self-sacrificial. You know, the church is preemptive, and it's mercy, and it's grace. It's always going after those who've been marginalized and cast off. This is what we see concerning the church. We see love. Jesus defined all of Revelation in terms of love relationship. He says this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. And remember, a lawyer comes to Jesus, and he's trying to trip him up. You know, he's trying to catch him. He's trying to find a a little loophole. Uh, that he can um, get Jesus entangled in so that somehow Jesus loses favor uh, with the people. And so he says to him, hey, Rabbi, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And this was what Jesus said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall say the word just to say it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say, on these two things, on these two commandments, excuse me, hang, hang all the law and the prophets, everything else. Like like you're asking Jesus, like if you could ask Jesus a question, what would you ask him? I think it's a great question, maybe with really bad motivation. Nevertheless, I'm glad the guy asked it. Hey, what is the greatest of all commandments? What sits at the top? What is at the epicenter? 
What's the thing that we should never forget? What's the thing that we should always consider? And, and Jesus says this, number one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That God himself is at the center of your life. He is the epicenter. He's not an afterthought. He is the only God that rules on the throne of your heart. He is not a God among many gods. He's not just within a compartment that's been set aside for, you know, when you feel convenient, when you get around to it, if in fact there's a need that you have, you can call out on him. Otherwise, he's just the forgotten God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you've come to a place where your life has been totally revolutionized. Christian, right? It's what we're talking about. You've come to a place where your life has been totally revolutionized, and now sitting at the center of your life is not yourself, it's not your family, it's not your, it's not your goods, it's not what you own, it's not the car you drive, it's not your ambitions, it's not your success, you know, it's not fulfilling your dreams, it is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what sits at the center. And then he ties, listen, he ties to it and to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, some people have kind of viewed this like, a, like the cross, right? There's the vertical relationship that we have with God. God has his rightful place in our lives. We love him. He's not just a pal or a friend or, you know, the big guy in the sky. He, you know, he's the center. We love him. And as a result of loving him, we love other people. We love other people. Well, you might be saying today, what is love? What, what's it got to do? What's it got to do? <laughs> and if you've been a Christian for 20 years, you probably heard 20 different definitions of love. But I want to give you a definition here just so you have 21 to, to, you know, in your Rolodex of definitions. When we talk about the love of God, this is what we mean. We mean the unconditional self-givingness of God the unconditional self-givingness of God, he gives himself, that springs naturally from his being, right? It's not hard for him to do. It's his natural disposition and is eternally displayed within the Trinity and to all his creation through Christ. When we talk about the love of God, you know, we're talking about more than just a feeling. We're talking more than a partnership or an arrangement that he has with you, like some business transaction. We're talking about how God unconditionally gives himself to all of humanity. That springs naturally from his nature. We know that that has existed within the heart of God for all of eternity because that's how the, the Trinity relates to one another. And we also know that's how his disposition is towards all of humanity because the Father gave his only begotten Son. It was an act of love. It was an act of love. It was, an, it was an act of love. It was love being demonstrated in real concrete ways in such a way that we never listen. We never have to question again. Some of you today, you're all torn up in your relationships and you're spinning because this is it. Does he love me? Does she love me? Do they love me? And you, you spin in this cycle, right? You're like, you're, you're, on, you're on the spin cycle, and you know, the only thing that's going to stop the spin cycle is when you take your eyes off of whether or not he, she, or they love you and set your heart steadfastly on the fact that God does love you, that God does love you. You know, we, I think when we talk about love, we talk in terms of feeling and uh, somebody said this a long time ago, they were talking about love and they defined it like this. They said, well, love, you know, love is a feeling you feel when you feel a feeling you've never felt before. Love is a feeling you feel when you feel a feeling you've never felt before. By the way, if that's your definition of love, that, you're going to fall in and you're going to fall out of that, right? You're going to fall in and you're going to fall out of that based on your emotional state, based on whether somebody fulfills or doesn't fulfill your expectations. I'm not a stoic. I'm not saying that love is without feelings because love is full of feeling, absolutely. But love goes further than feelings. It goes further than feelings. Love, I believe, the scripture defines from the framework of God's love as his unconditional self-givingness. God gives himself to us. When we love, we are engaging in that same love. It's empowered by, it finds its root and source in God.
but it is a willingness to give ourselves to other people. Now, I think this might be difficult for us as well because sometimes we define love not just in terms of feelings, but we, we use the word for everything. We use the word for everything. You're going to go out and you're going to go to Beyond Coffee and you're going to get a gold standard and you're going to have it in your hand, um, the extra ice, extra shot, and you're going to say, I love this. I love this drink. Do you really? Do you just, is it unconditional self-giving, you know? <laughs> you're like... Or, or I love chocolate, or um, I love my iPhone, and I hate Androids. Now, like, I get that, all right? That, that one I understand. But the word is just used, right? The word is just used and abused. It's used and abused. It's like roadkill. You know, it's been run over so many times, it's hard to even understand what love is anymore. And if you get, we're going to talk about this uh, in two weeks, if you take your cues from the culture, you will never really understand what Biblical love is. This type of love, this unconditional self-giving is the language and purpose of relationships. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's talking about how he could be the most spiritual man, how he could know all truth, how he could speak with the tongues of angels, how he could give everything he had away to the poor, how he could even give himself to be martyred. Paul said, I could do all of that. I could do all of that, but does all of that mean that, I, that I'm in the right spot? No, because he says, without love, all of those things profit me nothing. Sometimes we don't know whether or not we're really loving with God's love until we're confronted with a choice. Now, look, you may disagree with me on this, but I do think this is one of the reasons why there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. I believe God placed two trees. Well, the scripture says God placed two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One, he said, eat freely. The other, he said, don't, don't eat. And we said that together because in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. It'll be disobedience and there will be consequences. I do believe that God placed that choice in the garden so that Adam and Eve could demonstrate this type of self-giving love. Because how do you know if you're loving with self-giving love unless there's a choice? You know, oftentimes it's not until we're confronted with something difficult. It's not until there's an expectation that's not met. It's not until there has harm that, there's harm that's been done as the Spirit of God is speaking to our hearts and we're called to be preemptive in our love or preemptive in grace and preemptive in mercy it's in that moment of choice that we discover whether or not we're really loving with God's love. Because sometimes God's love will direct us to do something we don't feel like doing. Somebody say amen to that today. Amen. Jesus said it. He said, hey, you know what? You love tax collectors and uh, et cetera, you know? <laughs> what good is that? You will be perfect. You'll love everyone unconditionally because God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. You'll be perfect in love just as your heavenly Father is perfect. So listen, today, I think we, we fit into one of two categories with respect to love. We're either loving transactionally or we're loving transformationally. With the way God designed it, I believe he, he has designed us for transformational, not transactional relationships. Let me explain this to you. A transactional relationship is economic and functional. It's based on the exchange of money, goods, services, or fulfilled expectations. When you're not getting what you're expecting, at that point, you determine the relationship doesn't make any sense any longer, so you modify the relationship or you just end it. When you and I live transactionally, when it's just about other people fulfilling expectations that we have, this oftentimes is the root for all sorts of toxic behavior, whether it's revenge or a passive-aggressive attitude or blame-shifting or manipulation or emotional uh, blackmail. Sometimes we'll get to a point where we cancel a relationship, we'll defriend a person, or even sometimes in marriage, it will end in divorce when we feel that there are irreconcilable differences, expectations are just no longer being met. 
Some of us are living trans transactionally. That for sure is not the will of God. Transformational relationships, on the other hand, are self-giving relationships emulated on and empowered by God's love. Transformational relationships are self-giving relationships emulated on and empowered by God's love. They're characterized by trust, by mercy, by grace, and of course, like I said, by love. Now, which one of those categories do you fall into? Which one of those categories? Before you answer, I want you to look at this table up on the screen today, and I want to describe... Uh, what these relationships or these, the framework for these relationships is like. Now, transactional can also uh, be called unbiblical. Transformational would, of course, be called biblical. If you're living transactionally in your relationships, it's about you and what you can get. If you're living transformationally, it's about others and what you can give. If you're living transactionally, uh, they're human-patterned relationships and they're human-powered. You've took your cues from the culture, you're living your relationships like everybody else does, and because none of that is supernatural, all of that is something you can do, do just by the exertion of your will, they're human-powered. On the other hand, biblical relationships are God-patterned. You've gone to the scripture, you know what the Bible says. You understand what God's expectation is for human relationships. By the way, human relationships matter to God, right? Human relationships matter to God. There is so much time that God spends through the authors of the epistles on human relationships because they matter to God. The people in your life have been divinely placed there by the Lord. There's a providential work of God, even the people you don't like even the people that get on your nerves, there's a providential work of God. He's placed people in your life, and one day, you and I are going to stand before God, and we're going to give an account for how we handled those relationships. Do you know what God's expectation is? Are you able to go to the scriptures? You know, sometimes when we're doing marriage counseling, like, well, you know, we'll start with something like this. It's a total trap. It's a total trap. We'll start with something like, hey, do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? And, you know, of course, who's going to have a, unless they're totally unsaved, who's going to say, well, no, I don't. I think it's stupid. You know, they're not going to say that. They'll say yes. And, of course, then we'll open the word and we'll say, okay, let's talk about what God says concerning marriage and God's expectations and, and the purpose of marriage from God's perspective. We need to understand how our relationships are supposed to look from God's perspective, not ours, not the way we've just been handed down from generation to generation. And I'm telling you, like those relationships can only be experienced through the supernatural power of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, transactional relationships are maintained if there's a personal benefit. Uh, so, hey, as long as I'm getting something, as long as expectations are being met, you know, as long as you're meeting my needs, as long as you're you know, filling the boxes, et cetera, et cetera, we're good to go. Um, but when you stop doing that, we out. Transformational is willing to sacrifice. You know, you're willing to, like I said earlier, you're willing to be preemptive with love. You're willing to step out. You're willing to be preemptive with grace. You're willing to be preemptive with mercy. We're going to talk about boundaries on this later on, but you're willing to take the first step. And you're not taking the first step just to manipulate somebody into a reaction or a response. You don't, if you don't get the reaction or response that you're looking for, you don't punish them for it. No, you understand what, what God desires. And so by faith, what you're doing is you're expressing your trust in God, not just your tr trust in him or her or them. You're saying, God, I believe what your word says. And so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take this step of faith. I'm going to be reminded that as I do it, I'm being obedient to you, and I'm placing this person's response in your hands. If they don't respond the way I'm hoping they respond, God, I know you're still faithful to do the work, and I'm going to rejoice in knowing that I've simply been obedient to you. Transactional relationships are built on fear and lack of trust. Transformational relationships are built on faith and mutual trust. Trust is built 
over the course of time, and it can be lost in a moment. We're going to talk about that too. In a transactional relationship, you're totally unwilling to change. It's, it's always about him changing or her changing. It's always about, you know what, they really need to hear this message right now. <laughs> right? You always have somebody else's change in mind because you're God, right? And you know what everybody else needs, but you are absolutely blind to your own personal need. Like, it's crazy. The, the ship can be sinking. The ship can be sinking, and then we're, we're looking at the holes in everybody else's boat, and it's like, hey, listen, man, you don't bail that business out. You're going down. You're going down. Like, let's take a little self-evaluation. If it's transactional, um, you're, you're going to always be concerned and demanding that everybody else around you changes. By the way, by the way, if you have a whole bunch of people around you that say to you the same thing and are experiencing the same thing through your life, chances are they're not wrong and you're right. Chances are you are wrong and they are right. Just wanted to say that. I, don't have, no, I have no idea why, but it just, it just came to my mind. Transformational relationships embrace and experience change. They embrace, look, if you really want to grow in your relationship with God, guess, guess what God's going to use? Guess what he's going to use? He's going to use your relationships. He's going to use your spouse. He's going to use your spouse. He's going to use your spouse. He's, you know what he's going to do? He's going to use your spouse. He's going to use, he's going to use him or her. In fact, I would say for us, for sure, that Rachel is the greatest tool used by God to shape me into the image of Jesus Christ, like without, without a doubt. And, and it's because, uh, and I'm just, we're going to talk about singleness, we're going to talk about friendships, and so this whole thing's not going to be oriented around marriage, but I do want to say this, because marriage is like a mirror, Marriage is like a mirror. Like you can live with yourself your whole life and just reinforce poor behavior. But when you get married, it's like, wow, am I really that selfish? Answer? Yes. <laughs> That's not nice. It's not nice at all. But it's true. <clears throat> Transactional relationships are like business partnerships. And, uh, you know, when. When you study relationships, the word partnership appears over and over again. And I'm not saying that there's not an element of partnership in relationships, but you can't just define relationships as partnerships. I mean, we're going to talk about covenants in just a second real briefly, but there are some people who define covenants as, as just as partnership. And it's like, well, well, wait a minute. The whole foundation of that is love. Can you imagine having a marriage that's just like a business partnership or like you're hanging out with your friends and they're like, hey, tell me about your marriage. And you're like, well, it's kind of like a partnership. You would get kicked underneath the table, I think, because that just demeans ultimately the real value. Transformational relationships are about love. Transactional relationships reinforce toxic cycles. Transformational relationships break unhealthy patterns and uh, they begin new ones. So we're talking over the next six weeks about transforming your relationships, but it will never happen unless you choose to live transformationally. It will never happen. If you continue or I continue to live in this transactional framework for relationships, and I'm just going to say, like, we're going to get really challenged during this time. And I know that relationships are a sensitive issue, and we don't like to necessarily come to church to be challenged but if you don't get challenged at church, there's really no point in going, right? There's really no point in going. And so we have, we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. Transformational relationships start with God, obviously. Transformational relationships start with God. Where do we begin? Maybe for us, you know, we've, we don't even have a relationship with God. And we're going to talk about transfer, transformational relationships. Well, we can't talk about that until you get right with God first. We can't talk about it until you get right with God first. The way that God wants, to, wants you to live your relationships will only happen if he is sitting at the center of your life. Otherwise, it will just be transactional, maybe from time to time. Maybe from time to time, you'll have this transformational moment. I'm just saying to you, it'll be just a moment. It will be just a moment if God is not the transformational relationship that you start with first. 
The Bible is all about God's love. Let me, let me just read to you today some of the different verses that talk about the love of God. In this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. For God, and these are all different phrases. For God so loved the world. Bible says God is love. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love. The Bible says greater love has no man than this. The Bible says they will know you are my disciples by your love. John said this of Jesus as he wrapped up his gospel account. He says that he loved them to the end. Jesus never stopped loving his disciples. John says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Looking back into the Old Testament, Moses talking to the children of Israel said, The Lord didn't choose you because you were more in number, but because he loves you. And then Jesus said to the church of Laodicea that, was, that thought they had it all together, right? They knew their Bibles. They had 30 years of biblical knowledge. But Jesus said to them, you know what? You're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. You don't even realize it. And then he says, as many as I love, I chasten. In other words, listen, even in all of that, I've not given up on you. Even in all of that, I've not given up on you. Next week, we're going to talk about the fall and the condition of Adam and Eve in the garden and identifying what the problem really is. And I think in that context about the love of God, right, you've got this perfect environment. You've got the harmony and unity between Adam and Eve and God. You've got the presence of God walking in the midst of the garden, with Adam and Eve, and then, then there's the fall, the face plant straight out of the gate, straight out of the gate. And there, the Bible says they, in fear, were hiding themselves from God. What was God doing? What did God do? God came to them. God came to them. He pursued. God sought after. God called the name of Adam, even while Adam was in all of his disobedience. God went after him. Not only did God go after him, yes, there were consequences for sure. We'll discuss that. But God himself clothed them in a tunic. God himself made the promise that of the seed of the woman, the adversary would be overcome. God was the one that, that reconciled. God was the one that preemptively loved. Listen, God is always moving towards you in love, even in your sin. Show this next slide. We've had a lot of great artwork. This is my artwork, all right? So like we have artists on our team. I obviously am not one of them, and you don't want to know how long this took me to do. But, but this is us, broken and hopeless and lost and toxic and dysfunctional and in total chaos, right? A cloud of confusion hovering over our head. We don't know which way is up. What does... What is the disposition of Jesus towards us? Always coming to us. Always coming to us. Listen, before you even knew him, he was coming to you. His disposition was for you, not against you. He was orchestrating circum circumstances providentially. Like you see some of it now through a glass and that dimly, but on the day you stand before him, you're gonna be like, oh God, I had no idea. Oh God, I had no idea that you were shaping circumstances, that you were bringing all of those people into my life, that you were pursuing me. You know, we sing this song, that, that reckless love of Christ, reckless in the sense that he gave himself to the extent of the cross. He pursued you. He sought after you, not while you were just knee deep in your sin, but while you were neck deep, while you had taken the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you were devouring it with a slobber all over your face, he still loved you in the midst of that. He still loved you in the midst of that. He preemptively pursued you. He preemptively pursued you when there was nothing lovely about you. Look, it wasn't a sorry. Sorry, but it's not because you've like fixed your life up that somehow now he's been triggered to respond to you or react to you in love. Not because, hey, you started going to church and you've cleaned up some of these immoral areas of your life and you're not going to the strip clubs and drinking anymore. And because of that now, God, you know, now I'm lovable, I'm lovely, you owe me. You owe me, God. No, that's not grace. That's not grace. No matter how much you clean your life up, you will still be covered with the dirt of sin until you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Period. Period. 
And I don't say that today to, 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 uh, to make you feel like you're being attacked. I say that today so that you know that you're loved. He knows you. He knows what you've been through. He knows the wounds and the hurts. He knows the failures and the dysfunction. He sees all of those things, and yet he wants to unconditionally, as you put your faith in Christ, give himself wholly and completely to you. And so what you do and what I do is we respond, we humble ourselves, we acknowledge that we've sinned against God, and we put our trust and faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then what happens is this, next slide, What happens is, it's a great stick figure, isn't it? Listen, what happens is you're filled. You are filled with God's love. You are made complete in the love of God. What was missing now has been fulfilled. The need that you had had been satisfied. The hole that was in your heart, the great vacuum that nothing that this world had to offer could fill has now been filled by the Lord. Listen, why is this important? Because he fills you, he completes you in his love. We're gonna talk about 1 John 4, 18 in just a second. And then he sends you. He doesn't send you half fixed. He doesn't send you half full. He doesn't send you with this idea that you're gonna get some sense of purpose and satisfaction from him and the rest from everybody else. No, he sends you complete so that you're not looking to other people to do for you what only God can do for you right? He sends you so, he sends you to other people so that, filled and complete with his love, you're not looking for other people to give to you what only God can give to you. First John 4, 18 says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Not been made perfect in love. Listen, you're, you, you, sometimes in relationships, it's like you're dependent you're dependent on what other people can give to you. And when, whenever you're living in that state of dependency where your own emotional state, your own sense of stability fluctuates built based on those around you, listen, you are not being made complete or perfected in the love of God because you know when you are, what he has given to you is enough. It is enough. It's enough when you're single. Listen, if you're single today, how many people are single? Raise your hand. It's okay. Don't, don't be. Just raise it high. Raise it high and proud. That's right. All right. That was the connection today for all the single people. All right. Now you know what up. Now you know what up. And I got no issue because we'll do wedding ceremonies with great joy. All right. But you don't have to live, you don't have to live your single life pining for this thing. I'm not saying that there won't be loneliness. I'm not saying that there won't be times of difficulty. You might be thinking today, well, what do you know, pastor? You're married. Well, I haven't been married my whole life, all right? I've been single too as a Christian, and I know the challenges of that. But at the end of the day, you can come back to God and say, God, you are sufficient. I'm trusting you. I will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that all things will be added to me in your timing. So let me wrap up by saying this. This is our live truth section, okay? It's great to know what the Bible says, but you know, it's got to be met with action. Number one, receive God's love and live in it daily. Number one, receive God's love and live in it daily. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you've never experienced the love of God, today we're going to give you an opportunity to take that step of faith. Um, but in addition to that, it's not just a one and done thing on a daily basis. And over the course of the next six weeks, we're going to be giving to you good, solid, healthy, spiritual rhythms that you can engage in that will really strengthen you to be complete in the love of God. And one of those is to start your day in the book. Start your day in prayer. Start your day saying, God, today I receive your love. Fill my cup. And God, not only that, but today I want to extend, I'm choosing to extend your love to the people around me, even to those who don't deserve it. To have transformational relationships, you have to first be being transformed by God's love. 
Don't expect from others what only God is able to give to you. Number two, choose transformation, transformational over transactional relationships. Um, you know, I want to remind you today that other people are not responsible for your happiness. Other people are not responsible for your happiness. And you know what? You're not responsible for theirs. Now, now listen, do I want people to be blessed and happy uh, in a relationship with me, whether it's a friendship or whether it's uh, our kids or whether it's my wife? Yeah, 100%. The last thing I want is to be miserable for people. But, uh, but we also don't live with this burden like other people's happiness is our responsibility. And if people treat you that way, listen, that just opens the door for emotional blackmail and codependency. And that's something that you just, it, it, it's not right to enable that. We're going to talk about how you navigate those difficult relationships. Relationships aren't about keeping people happy. They're about receiving God's love and giving it to others freely. Final thing today, relationships leave a mark. The fact is relationships leave a mark. Is love the mark that you leave? Is love the mark that you leave? Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for your word and I just pray that you would help us, God, help us in this place, this room, those online. God, we turn our hearts to you. Fill us, we pray, with your love. Oh God, we give space to you this morning, space for application, space for conviction, space for encouragement. Space for your spirit to search our hearts. God, space today for healing to flow. For those relationships, God, that are burdened and that are breaking or maybe they're broken. God, for those wounds that are represented today. Oh God, we just, we want to open ourselves up for you to work. God, to work a miracle. But today, as our eyes are closed and as our heads are bowed, we want to give an opportunity today to respond to God's truth. And, and you know, in the following way, number one, you know, you may today not be a Christian. You've never taken the step of faith and really believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and totally and completely entrusted your salvation to him, confessing your sin and turning away from sin and turning to Jesus and receiving the love of God, his healing and his power and his life-transforming work today, this is the first and most important relationship for you to get right in. And if you've never taken that step of faith, man, maybe you've been a, a skeptic. Maybe you've been battling, fighting off what you know God has been speaking to you. And, and you know you've been being prompted to take a step of faith and to trust in Christ. And yet you've been dragging your heels. Today you need to stop fighting against God. You're not fighting against a, a religion or a church. You're fighting against God and his love. Why? Why would you do that? Today, let his love wash over your life. Today, maybe as a Christian, you know you've been struggling with God's love. And you know you need to settle that once and for all. I'm not saying that there aren't struggles in our life. And I'm not saying that we don't battle with doubts because we do. But maybe today you just need to plant the flag once and for all on biblical truth. You've just been allowing yourself. You've allowed yourself to waffle on whether or not God loves you. 
and it's all been oriented around your performance. And today you know you just you need to settle once and for all that you're going to keep your eyes on the cross of Christ because God planted the cross and the son hung on it so that you could know and not question his love for you. Maybe today you know you just need a fresh outpouring of God's love. You need to be strengthened and washed and cleansed and renewed. Uh, you know, maybe today as a Christian, there are just great struggles in your relationships and you need God's help and you want to start this time of studying relationships with an open heart to all that God has. Maybe today you need to bring relationships to the altar. Maybe today you need to bring your marriage. And so this morning, let's all stand together. We're going to have our worship team lead us in a song of worship. And today, as God has spoken to you, maybe you're going to take a step of faith and receive Christ today. We want you to come forward right now and stand here in the front with our follow-up leaders. Maybe today as a Christian, you know you've been struggling with God's love personally and you just need that settled in your heart and you want to be filled and washed with his love again. Maybe today as a Christian, there are broken relationships in your life that need to be presented to him. I want to encourage you right now, make your way down to the front. And as you do, I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. We're going to believe that God is going to move in our hearts today. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves 99. I couldn't earn it. Don't discern it, still you give yourself away. You're just being refreshed and renewed in his love. And today we do believe as we come to him in faith that God is going to heal. He is going to set free. He's going to make new because that's what our God does. And so today let's bow our heads together. And I want to lead you in this prayer. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer out loud after me. God, thank you for loving me. 
And today I receive your love. Today I set you at the center of my life. I choose to love you. And God, I choose to love others. Heal my heart. Cleanse me from my sin. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray.